The following is a Galactic Network podcast. For more, go to GNCast.com. That's G-N-C-A-S-T-S dot com. Before there was radio, TV, or podcasts, people gathered together to tell stories. These stories were meant to entertain or educate. It really drew people in and helped them forget their troubles of the day and experience something they've never imagined before or maybe illustrated something in a way that was more easily to mentally digest. This tradition has been reborn in the forms of not only RPGs and LARPs, but in console, card, and board games as ways to tell a story and bring you into the tale. We're going to be talking about news, kickstarters of games you should be aware of, and interview a guest about a topic that involves some aspect of storytelling. We welcome you to the Adventure Party. Hello and welcome to the 48th gathering of the Adventure Party on this, the 8th of May. I'm your party leader, Brad Ludwig. We ask that you peace tie your swords, holster your blasters, and make sure your gaming supplements are printed and at the ready while you are gathered at the meeting table. Our guest this week is Mike Myler, and he is a any, any, just make sure that you understand that, which is a that is a Gen Con specific award, yes? Uh, it is, it is. It's, it's from uh, Ian World started it, and uh, now it is just a functionary of the, uh, the Gen Con, yeah. Oh, excellent. Uh, he is an any winning game designer, writer, and wearer of countless hats. I like that in your bio. Uh, <laughs> he's worked with companies like Avalon Games, Fantasy Flight Games, Pies Publishing, just to name a few. And we wanted to talk with Mike uh, about how he got into the business, uh, some of the projects he's worked on, and maybe get uh, a bit of advice on how you could work towards writing that supplement or creating that game you've often dreamed of making. So thank you for joining us, Mike. Oh, and also, as an added bonus to everybody, Mike is going to be talking to us about his new product uh, that he's put out, which is a supplement for D&D 5th Edition, which is called... The Mists of Akuma, which I love that name. <laughs> so Mike is going to tell us all about that. Um, we're going to basically be turning that over to him uh, this time for the Kickstarter spotlight. So, all right. Well, to start things off, we always do a game review with Glenn. And what do you have for us this week, Glenn? What? what? I wasn't ready for this. <laughs> You're fired. <laughs> <laughs> Man, again, three uh, times I this week. No, I am bringing Quadropolis. Quadropolis is uh, pretty darn new, brought to us from Days of Wonder. Uh, and game designer Francois Gendong, this is his, uh, his first big project. Um, it is two to four players, plays in about 30 to 60 minutes, and retails for between 50 to $55. Uh, what this game is, is each player, you're building your own, basically, metropolis, your own little city, uh, using shops, parks, public services, ports, uh, apartment complexes, or towers, as they're called in the game. In each round, you're going to have different architects, numbered one through four. And then you have a five-by-five grid that has tiles that are available for you to basically purchase with your architects each turn. So if I play my number one architect, uh, I look and I can take any architect in any any building in row number one or column number one. So I play my number one architect. I play my number three, any building in row three or column three. However, 
when I take a building, so if I'm the first player, I take my building from the tile, there's this little other guy called the urbanist. He goes in the empty space where I just took a tile from. And now no one can line their architect up with that guy. So it basically blocks out sometimes from being chosen till the next player takes something. So the next player takes something and that urbanist will move to that space. So you kind of block out little bits here and there. And there are times when you won't be able to take all four of your architects because there won't be a tile for you to take because you'll be blocked from taking it. So part of it is knowing when to play which architect uh, to get the best buildings you can or just get a building if you can get it. Once you have those tiles, you add them to your own city. And depending where you put it can get you different bonuses. First of all, some things will either grant you people or they'll grant you power. And people and power will be used to basically make other buildings work. If you put people in shops, that means they're buying stuff. Uh, if you build a tower, it needs uh, it gives you people. If you have a port, ports can give you people or power. And all these different things require different resources to make them work. Well, different being people or power. Um, and the more people you have in a shop, the more points it's worth at the end. If you have ports next to cities, you get bonuses because the goods don't have to travel as far to get to the cities. If you have parks next to the uh, apartment towers, you get bonus points for that because people like having parks nearby. Um, but there's also a trick is that you don't want too many people or too much power because if you don't use it all by the end of the game, it counts as overpopulation and pollution, which gives you negative points. Ooh. So you're trying to maximize everything so that you get all the stuff you need without having too much. So you don't want to lose those points. That's where parks can also come in handy because parks will help absorb some of that extra pollution. So I like the fact that it's it's got this great mechanic with, with the whole urban, the whole blocking off of different areas because sometimes you might take a building you don't need as badly to set up someone else and not be able to take something that would do them good because you'll block that piece from them. Um, and because of the fact that it's it's the tiles are drawn out randomly, it's set up different every time you play. I mean, yes, you set up the same end goals, but you can't always say, oh, I'm going to go for ports to win because you might not get ports. Uh, you might not get the picks you want. So you have to have, you have to be able to do different strategies each time you play. I have not been able to win the same way. Well, I haven't won every time I played, but <laughs> the times I have I have won, I've been able to do it the same way twice. Um, I've had to do different strategies based on what tiles I'm able to get at what time. So um, it just it's it's really I like a lot of these these different city buildings even coming out. This one I I talked before about I think New York 1901 I've mentioned. So there's just been some good city building games that it scratches that itch that that I I get when I think back to SimCity 2000. Oh, sure. I used yeah. to play that, you know, and listen, this one doesn't have the risk of Godzilla coming and destroying your city. <laughs> and you don't, you don't have to worry about crime either and, and wonder why on a block with seven police departments, you still have a block of crime. Yeah. But <laughs> Or deal with taxing. Yes. You don't have but, to do any of that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a good, what I would call kind of more gateway type game in that it's, it's got plenty of strategy, but the rules themselves are very easy and quick to pick up. Yeah, it seems like a, you know, looking at some of these pictures uh, and we're, we're back to doing screen share again using yeah, Blab. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> how much fun those people are having. Yes. Uh, you know, and, and this looks like a multi-generational game here. Uh, so it, it, it's very accessible uh, for, for everybody. 
Uh, and it looks like a, how long does a game take? It doesn't look like it takes too long to play. 30 to 60 minutes. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. That's it's, perfect. It's, it's a nice fitted in pretty easily. I've done, I've done a two player game in right about 30 minutes. Most of the, most of the four player ones after the first time through takes about an hour. Okay. The setup is only what, like one, two minutes. Yeah. It's uh, basically each player gets their player board. You get your architects, your one through four architects, and then you, randomly draw the 25 tiles you need for turn one. Oh, nice. Nice. So, uh, Mike, are you much of a board gamer in what little free time you probably have? Uh, no, I don't get to do a lot of, I mean, I, I tried out, my friends were all way into Arkham Horror. So, oh, sure. Uh, yeah. I took a, I took a swing with that and I was like, wow. <laughs> so now that we spend hours sitting up the board guys, can we play the game? Um, <laughs> But, uh, and then, like, I, I don't know, my mom always cheated at board games and stuff, so that gave me sort of a sour, oh, sour appreciation yeah. for them. Uh, let's see. You know what, I really, I'm, I'm looking forward to playing some, um, some of the Paizo Adventure card game. Okay. Uh, have, you guys, have you guys seen that in, in play yet? It's pretty impressive. And, oh, yeah. um, I almost bought a copy at PaizoCon two years ago, and I didn't. I kind of wish I had. So, uh, this year I, I intend to, to fix that. Yeah, Glenn. Glenn is a uh, he manages a game shop in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So he gets to handle a lot of the games that uh, that we talk about. Uh, so yeah, he's yeah, yeah. he's in the know, which is really nice. We didn't talk about uh, what does it retail for? Fifty to fifty-five. Okay, that so that's well within that. Uh, that sweet spot that we talk about for, for a yeah. good quality game. Uh, and you know, you're going to get good quality pieces for, for that kind of a price tag. Absolutely. And it has high replayability and it's easy to learn quick to play. Uh, why wouldn't you want that in your gaming library? <laughs> That's well, my I'm question to you. Play it too, Cause you're probably just like, Oh, it's, it's Sim city, but we're all playing at once and there's no computer. And, like, yep. everybody knows what SimCity is, right? Sure. Exactly. If you like what you've heard on this Galactic Network podcast, please consider helping us out financially by going to gncast.com slash support. On that page, you'll find links to our Patreon campaign where you can make a small recurring monthly pledge of as little as $1. Or click on our Amazon affiliate link, make a purchase, and we get a very small percentage from the sale. Again, go to gncast.com slash support. And thank you for supporting the Galactic Network podcast. Now, we just talked about Paizo, and they've just released Ultimate Intrigue, which I am intrigued to get my hands on and take a look at. Uh, our our Monday Night Gaming group plays, uh, gosh, uh, we, we play Pathfinder and we're wrapping up a six-module game that we've been playing now off and on for, I think we figured out, about four years. I hate yeah. you. I mean, <laughs> you're awesome, Brad. I don't know about that, but uh, we've been playing it off and on for four years. Uh, part of it was uh, we, we finished up a module before the next one was available in some cases, uh, in other cases, the game master was just kind of a little burnt because now, especially now that we're at high levels, we're at like level 18 right now and wrapping up this all villain. It's a villain game, which is kind of interesting. We have to subjugate the entire uh, you know, 
you know the world essentially and we're we're in the home stretch so we're going to see how this <laughs> how this all pans out good fight yeah <laughs> But uh, I digress. Uh, in the right setting, a single scathing word can prove deadlier than a poisoned dagger. Behind the scenes of heroic battles and magical realms lies a seething underbelly of danger and deception. This world of intrigue holds endless possibilities for adventure as heroes duel with words instead of steel, plot daring heists, and engage in battles of wills against relentless nemeses. A high-stakes game of shadows and secrets is yours to master if you have the wits. Whether the heroes are taming the blood-soaked back alleys of their favorite metropolis or jockeying for the queen's favor alongside highborn nobles, Pathfinder RPG Ultimate Intrigue is an invaluable companion to the Pathfinder RPG Core Rulebook. This imaginative roll top, uh, tabletop game builds upon more than 10 years of system development and an open playtest featuring more than 50,000 gamers to create a cutting-edge RPG experience that brings the all-time best-selling set of fantasy rules into a new era. Now, they've got some new character classes for us, which is kind of cool. Uh, the Vigilante. Uh, living a person who basically lives two lives, that of the unassuming member of the community and the cloaked crusader with his own agenda. They've got archetypes, uh, which are available here too. Alchemists, uh, bards, druids, hunters, inquisitors, investigators, mesmerists, uh, rangers, rogues, slayers, spiritualists, and more. There are new feats and magic items for characters of all sorts, granting mastery of street-smart combat, impenetrable disguises, and misdirection. Dozens of spells to manipulate tense social settings, whether to reveal adversary secrets or hide the truth. Complete system influence, providing new goals and rewards to challenge players, and link their fortunes to non-player characters and organizations. Uh, systems and advice to help game masters introduce a variety of new encounters into their games, uh, daring heists, extended pursuits, and tense searches for buried secrets. Rules for social combat. Oh, that's nice. Uh, verbal duels allowing characters to use words as weapons to sway hearts and humiliate foes. Wow. I have, I think, ultimate combat, ultimate magic... Yeah, I think those are the two ultimate guides that I have currently. Uh, yeah, collectively in our gaming group, we've probably got all of them covered at this point. Okay. Uh, I think Ulti Ultimate Adventure, I think, was was that the last one that they put out? Taking a look here very quickly. Oh, Ultimate Campaign. That's what it was. Ah. Yep. Another book in the Ultimate line of books, which... I have yet to read one that I kind of went, eh, that didn't seem necessary. <laughs> uh, so I, I know you don't get to play all that much, but you get to watch people play. What are some of the things you've heard about the ultimate guides that you've uh, seen people use so far? Um, I haven't heard that much. I mean, there's always people who want, they want more characters. They want, they want more options of what to play. However, I also noticed that a lot of people who are constantly asking for more characters to play still end up playing the same things all the time <laughs> yeah <laughs> i want more options here you go i'm gonna be a fighter what yeah what? 
<laughs> he could be a mesmerist. No. Uh, yeah, I when what was it in it? Well, in this villains campaign that I was talking about, I'm playing a a, a warlock essentially, a male witch, and their power structure is so crazy in that they have hexes, which are instantly usable magic abilities. And right now I'm at such a high level that I've got resurrection where once a day without material components, I can bring some money back from the dead (laughs) as long as they haven't been dead for too long. So, all right. Yeah. Uh, So that's, yeah, got a very interestingly structured witch. But, you know, what's really fascinating is it's like a hybrid of sorcerer, wizard, and cleric. You have, you know, healing abilities, but also harm abilities. And, nice. you know, some of the, one of the hexes allows you to, you know, if you want to, you could sleep underwater. And that would be, you know, you just dive in, go to sleep, boom. All right. Oh, um, occult advent- adventures might ah. just popped in okay yeah my store is our other store does a lot of pathfinder they have uh two or three tables every sunday um my store doesn't have as much as far as pathfinder goes we're, we're more just D. okay um, okay i sell pathfinder but just not as much as i do some of the other stuff as much sure. as i do the, the D stuff um, especially since fifth edition has come out, that has really, really changed uh, a lot of what people buy. I sell a lot, a lot of, of <laughs> fifth edition D and D. Sure. Oh, Mike's having some issues here. So, give me just a second. I'm going to grab my phone in case we need to do a call. Right. Hang on. I can't wait to edit this one. <laughs> It'll be fine. Uh, What I'm going to do is Mike seems to be having some issues here. So I'm going to give him the opportunity to call in on his cell or his landline, whatever would work for him, if that would work better. So back to Paizo. Uh, you know, one of the great things that I, ah, Mike. Yeah, sorry about that. I, my uh, my browser is not doing well with WebRTC today. I couldn't get on roll for me today earlier. Oh, okay. Well, no worries, man. We got you back, and uh, I've got a nice setup here, so I can just tap my phone right into the the board here, and we can make it happen. Uh, yeah, Ultimate Industry is really neat. Uh, the Vigilante is really awesome. It's a very interesting way for them to take the like the design of the core, the core mechanics, because they already did the tech guide, and now they're doing what uh, Ultimate Horrors next year. Yeah. Oh, nice. So I'm expecting that to be like their Book of Vile Darkness, and I'm kind of looking at at Pathfinder and wondering like if they're starting to meander around near the end of the game's life cycle. Okay. But I mean that's very speculative. So. Okay. That you know I, what I was gonna say is I, the one thing I I really like about Pathfinder, and I'm sure that because you've had a chance to kind of you know, roam and kind of put your mark on the system as well as just having it be open to people creating uh, resources uh, for the game to, you know, to, to expand 
expand settings and give people other sandboxes to play in, as it were. Yeah, no, Paizo uh, has very always been very encouraging of that. They do, you know, they'll put stuff on their stored log and, and what have you. Um, but their core is the thing about. So I think they're going to try to drag out the original Pathfinder rule set out as long as possible because the core like uh, mechanic for their, their business revolves around subscriptions, right? Sure. Like yep. your game store, you say you mostly do D&D, yeah. right? Fine. Yeah. So, but I mean, you, you still sell Pathfinder stuff and it's probably modules under the subscription. Um, not a lot. We don't really sell a lot of Pathfinder. Hold on. It's, it's just been, we have, we have some other people who play um, and they buy a little bit of stuff in the store. They get a lot of their stuff elsewhere. Oh yeah. Like uh, direct. Uh, a lot of them buy direct. Yeah. Mm, okay. Well, yeah. So they've got this really great core subscription group that, like, you know, they can always fall back and rely on. You know, like, oh, we know we're going to have projected sales of this and this and this kind of number. But whenever they jump to a, a second system, that's going to be really rough. And they've got a a way better network than D and D ever had for adventurers. Like, you know, the, the Pathfinder Society is crazy. <laughs> I walked by their one of their mass events at Gen Con last year, and it was just like this this huge ballroom just filled with people and they had like a hundred GMs and they're all communicating with each other with like hand signs. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's, it was pretty crazy. So like, it's a, it's a different monster and it's not as easy for Pizer to release another rule system as it is for Wizards of the Coast. Wizards of the Coast is just like, Oh, screw you customers. You're going to buy it. It's Dungeons and Dragons. You know, they were a little bit more savvy about fifth edition than they were fourth, but still. Yeah. I was just going to say, uh, it looked like fifth edition. They learned a lot of lessons from, from four and from what Paizo has managed to create. And uh, especially with them bringing back some of their classic, classic monsters and Ravenloft and, you know, some of those uh, iconic bits of D and D history uh, and also kind of opening things up a little bit. Uh, Yeah. I'm, I haven't done fifth edition yet, but I, everything that I've seen and everything I've read, it just seems to be really, they've really put something together that's that they should be proud of. Yeah. Well, I mean, D&D 4th is something that people should be proud of. They just shouldn't have called it Dungeons & Dragons. They should call it Gauntlet or, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's not, not D&D because they pulled all the, the thematics away from mechanics to appeal to the MMO market, and that was a mistake. They're being way smarter this time. You saw the Zendikar thing yeah. they put out? It was just last week. Yeah. And a bunch of people were freaking out because, like, that's their main target group, like the the mark, the mark, um, sorry, the magic, the gathering players, who are all like what twenty five to twenty eight now is their core group now. Instead sure. of looking for fifteen year olds to pick up two packs, they're expecting, you know, the fifteen year old ten years ago me to do that. And uh, I don't know, it's gonna be interesting to see how far Zendikar takes them and how many people they can bring in from Magic the Gathering over to D. Yeah, that's, that's gonna be fun to watch. Oh, very cool. But uh, yeah, ultimate trick. Very cool. Vigilantes, very cool. And there's a lot of fun stuff in there. Like, uh, what was the one I really like? Dress Corpse. A spell that you cast on a dead body to make it look like it was killed in a different way than it really was. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. See, now, now I want to own this yeah. book. <laughs> uh, well, that's the cool thing. Like, it's, it's not going to become... I don't think it'll ever be GURPS in how detailed the simulation is, but mm-hmm. like uh, that's one of the main differences between D&D 5th and Pathfinder at this point is that the D&D is more of, D&D 5e is more of a narrative system as opposed to a, uh, a simulation. And Pathfinder is this really great, intricate simulation. And they, they'll tell you, by the way, like when you run a game, 
don't just let your players use every single book they can find. Don't even let yeah. them use every single book on the PRD. Like, figure out what the game is about. If there are spaceships and aliens, include the spaceship and alien books. If there's, you know, just hang around in cities, use ultimate intrigue. If there's going to be gladiator arenas, use ultimate combat, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and speaking of, of Paizo, I'm really, I, I got on board with Etheria, their, mm. their space stuff. Etheria, yeah. Yeah, so I'm I'm really kind of pumped for that. We're doing a um the last project I did last Kickstarter is called Hypercore twenty ninety nine. It's about making your D and D fifth game or your Pathfinder game into a cyberpunk superhero game. And uh um, I saw that, yeah. I got to know Robert Brooks because a lot of people I'm friends with are doing Avera and I helped him like uh fix his Kickstarter because it was not looking great that first week. But they, they funded, by the way, they ended up getting like $50,000. Amazing. Yep. But yeah, we're doing a panel with them, like me and my Hypercore team, and then uh, the Avera people were doing a seminar at uh, Isocon, and it should be recorded by somebody. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Oh, very cool. Very cool. We talked about Toxicity, I Am Zombie, yes. last week in our Kickstarter spotlight. And... I'm pulling it up here. Sorry about that. Make Believe Games. Ah, yes. So right now, they're at seven days to go. Their goal was $5,000. And we're very happy to report that they are at 11392 So this is definitely a go, which I'm really happy for. <clears throat> excuse me. For the team there, uh, they reached out to us. I'm Carrie Sims. You may know me from the popular weekly internet game show podcast, Trivia Geeks, streaming live every Tuesday night at 9.15 Eastern, 8.15 Central. Like any podcast, Trivia Geeks started out as nothing more than an idea and a dream. Here at Blazing Caribou Studios, we believe in cultivating those dreams and ideas to bring fresh content to the masses. Click on over to BlazingCaribouStudios.com and click on the link Pitch Podcast Ideas. Your dream could be just one click away. He reached out to us to, to let us know about about uh, toxicity, and uh, let's see. Looking at their current level, yes, they did get up to their even more ID cards. So at this point, uh, to help create your character for toxicity, you now will have access to a hundred and eight ID cards, so that you can. I'm going to throw this in the message in the chat here for folks that are joining us on Blab and they can see that. <clears throat> Excuse me. So as you create characters, you use the ID cards to uh, construct your character. So it's, it's, it's random, but you get to play, you get to play a zombie <laughs> and they have kind of turned things a little bit on its head and they've also put it in a grindhouse seventies. Yeah. Uh, kind of feel to the whole thing, which is which makes it unique, and and that's really kind of exciting. So uh, you know, uh, our hats off to the Make Believe Games team and uh, getting this thing successfully funded. And with seven days to go, they could quite possibly hit their next goal, which is Toxicity Dice, which you would be able to add eight funky uh, I Am Zombie Toxicity Dice. There's there's a part of me that wants to get this uh, game just so I can run it and 
be a be the GM using that grindhousey voice. You enter a room. It's the black. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I'm the the whole feel, the whole idea of this thing cuz you're actually doing old school type crawling underneath the 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 streets of of 70s New York City. So it's it's got that whole that whole grindhouse like I said grindhouse feel to it. It's a kind of a a period piece as it were uh in the not too distant past and uh, all the additional things that they've got to go with this like some of the stickers and uh everything else that they have going on with this. It looks uh, like yeah. a lot of fun. So uh we're really happy that they've that they've managed to make their goal. Now, our new Kickstarter spotlight that we're talking about and one of the many reasons that we brought Mike onto the show is he has put together and currently has on the Kickstarter Mists of Akuma, which is the Eastern Fantasy Noir Steampunk for 5th ed- edition D&D. And since we have you here, Mike, we'd love to have you talk about uh, talk about this. Uh, how did it come about? And uh, uh, yeah, but please tell us tell us more. Oh, yeah, awesome. Uh, yeah, the uh, how it came about. That's a good place to start. Um, I have long been like an obsessed with Eastern culture, uh, least of which because uh, I can eat almost all the food because there's very little milk to be found. I'm allergic to milk. So I'm used to like never being able to walk into an American restaurant and just order food. Uh, so yeah, I ended up spending a lot of time in Chinese restaurants and like reading up about Eastern philosophy and so on. And, so. and uh, we were finishing up Hypercore. Uh, it actually just the PDF just went on sale last week, and uh, I'm still like fighting with the printer to get it through the print. And I was like, what do I want to do next? What do I want to do next? And I decided I definitely was Japan. So I sat down. and I was like, okay, well, it's, the most exciting part of Japan is you know the Tokugawa era. So uh, there was this, like, 300-year period of isolation where Japan was not trading with anybody except for the Dutch. Uh, and so anybody who was not Japanese was picked off the, the mainland. And it ended up causing all these really crazy, weird, awesome cultural things to happen. And then in 1854, we sailed in, we being America, and Matthew Conversi Perry, and I pointed a steel gunship at Ito, Tokyo now, the capital, and uh, demanded that they open up a trade. And I was like, okay, so like, what would make that not work out? Like, okay, well, you know, let's say that Japan really was a magical place. And people had, you know, spells and magic and magic doors and stuff. Uh, and then from there, I was like, okay, well, then we'll, we'll up the power side of uh, the American people, which I have brilliantly named Ceramian. Um, and uh, now they have like electro, electro ships that like fly through the sky. And uh, it just all kind of tumbled forward from there. And I ended up going with. Um, Noir and steampunk as my like other other is because like there's a lot of cool like Eastern horror stuff that already exists and I wanted to enjoy some of that but I didn't want to make that the focus of the game because you can if you want to do that go play in Kaizen or you know grab Honimusha and play through that again but um yeah so I, I decided to do that and then also oh, is Chad going for you thing? um I don't know if you guys losing the uh, so in Hypercore and the last, and the, the book I did before the Rancid Codex, I, I'm like a, I'm more concerned with national issues, you know, like how does this country of Griffin interact with the Red Orb 
let's just orc drive down the southwest and like the traditional kingdoms in between and so on and so forth. And then in Hecklecore, we did another big view thing. It was like, uh, we covered Cleveland and New York and like, uh, utopian business, uh, islands owned by Hecklecore Corporation and Latin America and, uh, Transylvania in 1999. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and Chapman too. Okay. Right. So, it was it was still a very like broad look at stuff, and I decided I wanted to do something very very like gritty and detailed. I want to spend like ten pages writing about one single city, and that lends itself to noir. And also like I don't I'm not I'm not the happy guy GM, you know. Sure. Like I like it when the players win. I, I don't hate it, but I want them to like really have to work for it. I want them to have to sacrifice stuff for it, uh, and that really lends itself to a noir feel and uh, fit like a glove. And then because I, I didn't want to make it a steampunk world, because again, go play in Eberron. Go get the steampunk, uh, what was the steambound for Pathfinder that did really good? Or Pure, Pure Steam. Steam. I think it was called Pure Steam. Oh, okay. Yep. There's, there's good stuff if you want to do steampunk. Um, and uh, Silver and, and the Bits of Akuma are not a steampunk campaign setting. They're a campaign setting that has steampunk in so um one of my favorite influences is uh warhammer 40k i love warhammer 40k i i have i'm almost caught up on the horse heresy series i just get through this novel like like crap and uh i really love the way that heresy is and i love how they treat technology so like there's machine spirits and what have you and in japanese folklore there's this really awesome thing called tsukumogami so after like 100 years uh your sandals or you know umbrella or whatever object is after this first century, it might wake up as like a creature, like an intelligent, oh. uh, maybe angry, maybe polite. And I was like, okay, so, and it depends on how well it's treated. And, and uh, the uh, like the high technology oppressors of uh, Mr. Makuma fell out of power about 50 years ago, but they still got all this tech around. And the reason that everyone doesn't just use it is because there's a chance it might wake up to try to kill you. <laughs> so I worked in the heresy element revolved around technology i like that okay. yeah. yeah thank you that uh, is okay. truly unique uh you can't see it but i am bowing yeah no, i was really happy with it and it's worked out really great in play and uh unpackaging those ideas has been very very fruitful so like um one of the other goals i'm doing here is i want to like i i have no illusions that wizards of the coast is going to abandon uh, Rokugan and Oriental Adventures, right? Like, that's coming down the line with Ravenloft and Eberron and all this stuff. And I'm going to beat them to punch. So if you want rules on martial arts stances and katanas and Henge Yokai and Kappa and all the different kinds of Oni and stuff, even if you don't want to play in my dark, greedy, noir world, uh, you might want to get this book just to mine stuff from it uh, because I'm making the Oriental Adventures toolbox. Awesome. awesome. Uh, we have something for every single class? Yeah. And that's how I got here. Um, Tsukumogami. So, like, one of the class options is to be a ranger who hunts down Tsukumogami and is, like, taught all about Tsukumogami by sensei objects. So, like, your umbrella is your friend now, and they're basically your animal companion. and give you some other abilities. And then there's a chance if you have, like, a prosthetic, because there are lots of game on prosthetic, right? Um, you can take a feat to have it waking up as a Tsukumogami. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm getting pretty good at making these campaign settings, man. Nice. <laughs> and uh, you can see all the stuff I'm talking about, by the way. 
because uh, the Kickstarter page has four free. Yes, I was looking games. through those. Uh, it could be a great idea with you. Yeah, uh, I'm going to for our YouTube folk. I'm going to flip now so that you can see on the screen that, yes, there are four different free PDFs of which you can click in. And depending on your browser, either you can look at it directly on the browser or you can save the file. And, uh, yeah. Now, you know what you're going to get. Yeah, this, uh, this is great. And I really appreciate Kickstarters that give you even more of a taste beyond the video as to what it's about. And... Uh, that's that's beautiful to see that that you've you've done that as well. Well, it worked really good with Dorantia, and it worked really good in Hypercore, and I haven't had a single dissatisfied person yet out of my three hundred fifty backers. Nice. Um, yeah, no, it's really nice to have like nobody be like, "Raw, I don't like the thing that you gave me." Everyone is all like, "Oh my god, this is awesome! I can't believe this is twice the size of the book I was supposed to get." Yeah. <laughs> I really like um, uh, your kudos to uh, to your art team here because the the pages here just even on the free stuff it has that kind of uh, you know that rice paper kind of aged rice paper scroll type of look to it which is is very beautiful. It's funny that you bring up the art. Uh, so I am hiring art artists. Most of the Kickstarter is to get money, so I can hire artists. Only two pieces of artwork in all four of those PDFs are original. Okay. Oh, well, when I say original, I mean wasn't drawn by somebody who died in like the 19th century or 18th century. Uh, sure. Uh, so during that Tokugawa isolation thing, right? Um, <laughs> we got the Gutenberg Press, which is a typeable printing press, hmm. which encourages you to do lots of books and lots of text, right? Um, Japan did not. They got this thing called lithograph, yep. which is not great for text, especially when you don't have. Uh, well, you know, when you've got like an alphabet of 300 characters or whatever. Yeah. So uh, there are these really amazing illustrators and artists from Japan who are very, very dead, <laughs> and all of their work is in the public domain. So, like, the thing that you look at there, the dude summoning that guy, mm-hmm. I want to say that's Utagawa Kuniyoshi from 1894. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I cleaned it up and I, I fixed it and did stuff, but I didn't draw it. Sure. And, you know, Udagawa Kuniyoshi drew it. And thank you so much, Udagawa and his ancestors and stuff, so I can use it. But, um, yeah, yeah. All, the, all that artwork has been sourced from, like, real-world historical scripts uh, and uh, woodblock prints and stuff like that. You know, the, the old saying, the, the, the best lies are wedged between two truths. Uh, that's what I like about things like this, is if you can pull from the real world, which kind of adds another level of um, legitimacy is not the word I'm really looking for. It makes for, it but, easier to suspend disbelief. Yeah, it does because it, this existed. So at some point, you know, it, it, it really lends to that feeling, that atmosphere of, of what you're doing is either possible, plausible, uh, but definitely accessible. So no, that's really, yeah, there's, cool. a, there's a resonating truth to it. Yeah. Yep. No, exactly. And that really kind of brings a different level of excitement and interest to the, to, to any game that you do when you do things like that. So, uh, no, this is, this is absolutely wonderful. I am so stoked to make those art orders, by the way. Oh, what's that? They're like going through, like, I'm, I'm really excited about getting to pay my art team to do, what oh. is it? I mean, it depends on how much money you get to be a stress goal, right? And the artists are working to that. But off the bat, they are on for like 70 original illustrations. 
something like that. Okay. Like, it's, it's oh, wow. Seven thousand dollars on level. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like I got a lot of cool stuff. I got some cool Imperial dragons and what have you. But like, I I haven't gotten to like order a scene, and I can't wait to do that. <laughs> oh, and Claudio Poses um, is doing the cover. Oh, so nice. if you pick up Lord of the Rings or Star Wars or D and D products, you've seen yep. Claudio's artwork. It's amazing. Um, and I, and you can see what he did last for me on the uh, Kickstarter page. He did the uh, Hypercore cover, and I can't wait to see what he does with like steampunk ninjas and samurai <laughs> and and uh, yeah, I'm sure it'll be way better than whatever it is I can come up with. <laughs> no, it's always good to have a great. Uh, team to work with to to make a good quality product and it looks like uh, you've definitely assembled that team looking at this you have a estimated delivery of august of this year so you've got everything pretty much done except for some of these bits of artwork it seems like yeah i've got my book outlines done. i got my chapter outlines done i've got all the classes written all the races written all the feeds written uh, i haven't written everything because like, you know, I have a writing team. They have sure. uh, between them 36,000 words or 40,000 words or so to write. Oh, wow. Um, but one of the reasons we're doing the fast turnaround time is, one, I want to have the fastest RPG Kickstarter turnaround time ever, so I can say that. <laughs> sure. And, uh, like, this is my third one. I had the Verantia Codex, and I had this huge team of, like, eight writers and designers, um, three main artists, but then other people on the side for cartography and other and then in Hypercore, I made the team smaller, and I found out that with fewer people doing stuff, I can do stuff way better. And let me rephrase that. I can do stuff the way I want it to be done better. Sure. So I've removed agency. And then here in Mr. Vakuma, like, uh, all those CDFs you're looking at, the promo ones, yep. that was the mic show, 100%. Okay. I did the layout. I did the page backgrounds. I did the, the graphics. The, I found the art. I cleaned it. I did the writing. I did the editing. I did the designing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Nice. So, um, yeah, I'm at the point where I do 80 or 90% of the work that's not uh, actually drawing something. And, uh, yeah, we should be able to turn it around before before the leaves start to fall. I'm pretty excited. That is awesome. All right. So looking uh, at this, if you want to get on board, uh, yeah, your $20 pledge level is all gone. So if you want to get on board to get a the PDF version of Miss Sivakuma, that's twenty five bucks with the like we said, the estimated delivery date of August of this year, twenty sixteen. And it looks like oh, oh at thirty dollars gets you the PDF and an at cost voucher for a print copy of the book. That is nice. And we did very specifically did vouchers this time because, like, brand new did vouchers. And in Hypercore, we took print orders up front. Okay. And while it's, like, attractive as a backer to, like, get the print order, uh, it sucks for me as a producer because if I'm making 100 books and they raise the cost of printing by, like, you know, making the ink cost more or whatever, and it's definitely 13 cents a book, not such a big deal. I'm just one guy paying 13 cents. If I'm paying 13 cents 200 times, and that thirteen cents is more like a dollar fifty. That changes everything about the Kickstarter, and I've gone from being in the black into being in the red. Yeah. So, and also with Verantia, well, I should say, um, Verantia, we were supposed to do a two hundred page book. We did a three hundred eighty six page book. Nobody has complained to me 
that they had to pay another $2 extra for 200 additional pages of material. Which is actually surprising, <laughs> surprising knowing right. a lot of the they gamers They would be I fools know. too, yes. Yeah, so... Um... <laughs> there are some, there well, are some. There are, there are an amazing additional 200 pages. I'll say that. Um, but yeah, so we didn't want to be restricted by uh, like budgetary costs and stuff like that. We're spending all the money we get on developing the book and making it as big and beautiful and awesome as we can. And with the vouchers, um, you can pay an extra six bucks to get additional vouchers. So if you are, per se, the manager of a game store and you think that a Claudio poses cover artwork, dark oriental adventures for D&D 5th would sell very well, you can order several vouchers, and then whenever the book is done, you will be able to sell it at a comparable retail price to what you normally would sell an RPG book for. It's not quite a 50% markup, but it's close to a 50% markup. Nice. That is... I want to support my local, you know, friendly local game store owners. That's... We have to. If we don't, yeah. the, the industry hobby will suffer very, very much. So, like, if you have a hobby shop, go there, please. They yeah. want to see you. Yeah, always buy local whenever you can. And that's really incredibly savvy of you to, to, to have that kind of set up, you know, any, you know, we've spoken in the past about any Kickstarter that really kind of keeps retail in mind to try to make sure that they can get the product before you could get it through any other resource or distributor uh, and to be able to get it at a comparable price uh, for when they, it does come through distribution is, is an incredible thing for, for Kickstarter folk to, to offer. So, and you've got a lot of different pledge levels here, and each one uh, you get better, better and better goodies as you go. Which uh, yeah, all the well in uh, right at the end, Hypercore, I find out that a lot of people like being contributors. So we set up a whole bunch of different contributor levels. It goes from like including a couple of trinkets in in like a list of stuff that you can get players to a spell to um, like making one of the oh, well the book will have a. Uh, 23 prefectures that are all like, you know, fighting with one another basically. And uh, each one will have like a government functionary that is kind of like a Johnson from Shadowrun. Okay, yeah. They're called Ben Goshi. Yeah. And uh, the Ben Goshi bill will be there and there'll be a henchman bill. So you could, you know, pledge to write the henchman for the Uragi prefecture where they like have illegal biological science. Or you could pledge to do the Ben Goshi from uh, Sanbaoshi which is like the Imperial Capital, or like many of the other prefectures here. Or if you wanted to write Imperial Dragon, also an option. If you wanted to spend a lot of money and give me a thousand dollars, I will give you a four-page spread in the book, which includes two illustrations and like a brand new prefecture that you come up with, a new Imperial sibling for like the backstory, like how your prefecture happened, and all that good stuff. And then um, we're also offering uh, games. So I run stuff through Rule Twenty a lot. And uh, at the very bottom of the Kickstarter page, you can see three actual play videos from games that I've, I've run for folks. And uh, I think starting at sixty dollars is the first first level where you can get a game, but every contributor level includes uh, some games. And I, I spend a lot of time setting it up too. Like the maps are really sweet. You get like a custom character token, and uh, people say that I'm a good game master. I am skeptical still, but uh, people seem to enjoy it. Well, every game master, uh, any good game master, I think, is always a little nervous about, you know, how the games go. And uh, I, I'm not sure I'd want to run into a GM that thinks that every no, game no. that they make is is a gift from God himself. <laughs> I know one. It's like a it's like a ninety ninety ten hit. 
when when it's bad, it's really bad. Yeah. When it's good, it's really good. Yep. All right. What we want to do now is we're going to segue from talking about Mists of Akuma, which uh, seven more days from today. So that would put us at uh, the 15th, one week. It'll be uh, May two 15th. weeks of the campaign. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Oh, I'm sorry. I would have my dates completely crossed. There's 22 days. That was toxicity that had the seven days. I apologize. 22 days left to go. Uh, for your campaign here. So that puts us at uh, the... Oh, at the very end of the month is when we're... Yep. Yeah. So this will... So far, we're over 50% of the, the goal is raised. So, like, we are... In all of my experience, we are definitely going to fund. It's just a matter of, like, how much we fund. Yep. I'm really hoping we get the Rob the Schwab festival. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that is cool. Yeah, I met Rob the first time I went to Gen Con and uh, ended up talking for, like, an hour. He's like totally solid human being. Like <laughs> just kind of want to hang out with him, you know. Yeah, we've actually got uh, a couple of friends that uh, grew up with Rob Schraub in Mayville, Wisconsin. Oh. Uh, and hung out with all the Schraub brothers. <laughs> oh, I can only imagine. Yeah, I've, they've told some fun stories of some of the wacky adventures that they had back in the day. So, uh, definitely a cool group and. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm really excited uh, for you guys. And yeah, you're, like you said, you're over halfway there. And yeah, at the trajectory, this is going, this is going to definitely happen. So definitely get on board with Mists of Akuma. We are going to, since we have your ear and you're with us, Mike, we wanted to talk to you a little bit more, not so much about Mists of Akuma, but some of, uh, some of the history of some of your other works that you've done. Uh, we gave just a small list of some of the companies that you worked with uh, at the beginning of the show. Uh, I, and it, it's an impressive list. And what Thank we you. wanted to do is talk to you about, you know, you mentioned in your bio that, you know, in your education, you, you got into film studies. And I wanted to kind of yeah. get a feel for, you know, one of my first questions I wanted to ask you is with that degree in film studies, how do you feel that that gives you an edge over other game designers and writers? Uh, saying that it gives me an edge would be inaccurate. Okay. Um, I got into film because I wanted to tell stories. Right? Everybody who is an entertainer ultimately wants to tell a story, even if it's a story <laughs> as simple as like, hey, this is where the coin came from behind your ear, you know? Sure. Uh, that's a really short, fast story, but, you know, it's a story. And uh, I got... I graduated college early, so I walked in with like a year done already. And uh, I found out like how the film industry works. And I was like, oh my God, I can't do that. <laughs> okay. So uh, I tried to get into the Ivory Tower. Didn't work out so great. And then I was like, oh, you know what? Um, I'm just going to work and die. Which, by the way, is a bad way to live your life. Uh, if you when I see that. Yep. And uh, I met this girl, and she kidnapped me from a bar. Real story. Kidnapped me from the bar. <laughs> and uh, now we're engaged for you, right? And uh, at one point or another, she was like, you really love this D&D stuff. Like, why don't you uh, see if somebody wants to buy it off of you? And somebody did. And then other people wanted to. And I found out that, like, you know, I can't eat well on this. But I can, if I can produce enough, which is roughly, like, three or 4,000 words of material a day, then I can eat. 
and uh, we've just been going like that. But to swing back around, how film studies informs what I do. So, like I was saying earlier, I'm used to doing like big, large national consoles, uh because I'm I have a very good like comprehensive uh, view whenever I look at like a, a, a global setting. Okay. You know, I see that there's this spoke over here, and I know that this spoke on the other side is important for this spoke over here. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I like setting up the stage. You know, like I don't want to necessarily tell you this is a story you got to tell. I want to give you a lot of really amazing tools so you can find stories within the story that like you own. Uh, so like I still write adventures and stuff, and I provide adventure support, but like that's not what I'm really about. I'm more about building the stage that your characters can play on. And uh, my film studies definitely definitely helps on that whole comprehensive thing because, like, I mean, this is a, a long philosophical consideration. But um, film is, like, arguably the most uh, comprehensive art form, right? It's not just music. It's not just sound. It's not just visual images. It's not just writing. It's all these. Uh, and also video games. But there's a lot of argument about whether or not video games qualify as film for the purpose of studies. It's called Luton Lashka. Um but yeah, yeah, and I found like the, the best way for me to maintain the most amount of control to tell the story that I want to tell the way I want to tell, tell it is to do game design and make these like crazy worlds where, like I said, at this point, I'm doing 80 to 90 percent of the work that is not drawing stuff, and that's only just I can't draw stuff. Sure, but like the vision that I have is the vision that comes out, and if I was like a with a literature background, I think it would be different. I think it would have more of a focus on like individual characters and like plot arcs that are absolutely vital to the story and like yeah, stuff that I'm not interested in because I'm not a lit major. You know, but basically what you've been saying though is your strong suit is and and where you feel the most comfortable is giving people the resources and tools to release their own inner lit majors and do all of that other work. You're just giving people uh, a, the box of, of tools and resources for them to, you know, basically fine tune and create a, a very specific world uh, or setting uh, within the genre that you're writing for uh, and make that happen for them. So that, that seems to work out very well for you. Thank you. Uh People think so. You know, I got to do better about taking compliments. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're very welcome. Uh, while we're talking about your your huge list of, of of the companies that you've 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 managed to produce work for, what project would you say was the toughest to work on out of all of the the different companies and projects that you've worked on? What was the what was the toughest? There's been a lot of tough ones, man. Uh, some of them I don't think they're mentioning because it wouldn't be fair to the individuals involved. Uh, so I'm just going to go with like stuff that I'm responsible for and people can I get upset at me for. Um, Hypercore was probably the hardest. Okay. Because we, so so in Hypercore, like I played Mythic Adventures and I enjoyed it. It was fun. But I didn't, like, it wasn't the epic level play I wanted. Yep. And, uh, I set out to make the epic level play I wanted, and I did. It was great. And then uh, I had to convert it all to 50, which is 
was because uh, so in Pathfinder is really easy because it was just a numbers game, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like you want to play a super strong character, really easy to do. Just make your strength really high. Uh, because of the bounded accuracy in D and D fifth edition, uh, that's not so easy to do. We still did it, and we did a great job. Rich Howard ended up uh, helping design the hyper score system for that, but it was not the exact same thing that I'd done in Pathfinder because, like, it just wasn't possible to do that. Okay. Um, and getting, like, finding the good middle ground and getting that into fifth edition was really, really difficult, and I was really, really happy when I was done and looked at it and was like, okay, this makes sense. Play tests are working out. Oh, my God, thank God. <laughs> okay. Now, in in the process of of doing all the work that you've done, you have you've won an any. What was what was it like to this to win an any? I mean, to to hold that in your hand and go, oh wow. There are many any's like it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's actually video of it somewhere. Um, I have never won awards. I'm not an award-winning guy, or at least not traditionally, anyway. Uh, so I kind of like heard my name and went up and accepted it, and was like, "Thanks, everybody. I don't know how to accept awards." <laughs> um, so I mean, it was pretty awesome. It, it kind of blew me away. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I look forward to getting more of them. I look forward to getting up there and like knowing what I'm going to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I suppose that first time out, you don't really think to you know, write down some words on a card so that you, you've got something to say. I'm sure that really did catch you flat footed. What, uh, was there like an after party afterwards and, and, uh, did you get to meet, you know, some other cool writers, uh, and game designers that, uh, that you really wanted to meet, but hadn't had an opportunity to? Well, then it there's a public event. Like if you're at Gen Con, you can go, uh, it's held in the, um, Grand Central train station thing. It's right near the convention center. You can throw a football and hit the building. I mean, if you have a good army or baseball, you know. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, like, I, I, you hang out with people beforehand. Afterwards, uh, I did hang out with people. I didn't know Owen, Owen Stevens bought me drinks, actually. Uh, he's kind of my mentor. He's awesome. If you guys don't know who Owen yes, Stevens is, go check out his stuff. He's amazing. He wrote Star Wars, D20 RPG, and a bunch of other great stuff. And he's, he's just genuinely like a good human being. By the way, I him and Albert are great. Cool. But yeah, yeah, we went and got dinner. He was neat. Yeah, and uh, if you are a game designer, go to the Emmys just so you can like meet people and be seen and be met. Nice. Well, and that kind of leads up to the next question that I have is what what would you recommend for people to do to get them started on the path to being game writers or game designers? Well, figure out first how, how, like, how deep you want to get. I took this, I will do or die attitude and I cannonballed into the pool. I don't have children. If I did, I wouldn't have done that. Sure. Yep. Um, just like, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you guys have heard the story about the writer who just started their career and did a great job because I haven't. Uh, it's always like a struggle. But um, yeah, figure out how involved you want to be. It's very easy to like do it on the weekends and stuff, you know. And there are a lot of resources to help you. There are a lot of people who will help you. Uh, it's not the market it was like doing this ten years ago was way more difficult than it is today. Uh, there's like stock art that you can get. Like you can release a really sweet looking PDF, building it yourself using Adobe InDesign, and like 
health website. Um, definitely try it if you think you want to do it. Uh, the first thing I did was release a free product to see like how people reacted to the stuff that I did. It's called the um, Magical Item Compendium. Uh, it was like three years ago. It's been a while. No uh, but people no really dug it. Okay. And I was like, okay, well, people like this, let's do another thing. And uh, it's very, 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 very emotionally rewarding. Not so much financially rewarding, but, uh, you know, that's something you got to build up to. Yeah. And uh, the thing to do, I mean, if you're just doing your own stuff and you don't have a system that you're, like, designing for, like Pathfinder, right? Like, mm-hmm. that you want to make your Frog Warriors RPG. Uh, use forums and stuff. Visit the end world. Get people's feedback. Don't be afraid to get people's feedback because when you start selling stuff and people pay you for it, they will give you their feedback, especially if they don't like it. Sure, yep. So uh, be prepared to toughen up your skin and uh, write every day. Every day. I don't care what's going on in your life. Sit down and write at least a paragraph every day. It is a skill. If you haven't written anything for 10 years and you sit down to write something, I promise you you're going to be really excited. Or <laughs> Excited isn't the right word. Surprised. Surprised by the quality of what you write. Sure. So um, it's a skill. Treat it like a skill. Fashion and home it like a skill. Uh, and you know, get out there. Get out there. Get out there as much as you can. And uh, don't work for free. That is bad Absolutely, for you and it's bad man. for everybody else. Okay. Exposure dollars do not pay for If you work for exposure, you will die from exposure. Yeah. I... <laughs> Truer words have never been spoken. <laughs> yeah, there's no such thing as... Well, there is such a thing as exposure, but it it doesn't do much for you. No, uh, I've always been uh, putting you on the path if, and if, you know putting food on the table. If what you're doing, who you're working important. for, if it, their exposure is worth it, then they can afford to pay you because they're a big enough company and they have a good enough name where they can yeah, afford to give exactly. you some money. Yeah. yeah, I got a lot of amazing exposure from the end world, and I also got like paychecks from the end world. You know, because like they have a very wide swath of like tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of users. You know, like don't don't let anybody tell you that your work is not worth money, because if they want your work from you, it's worth something. You know. No, exactly. And uh, it's harder to. I, I shouldn't. I'm not gonna. Nah, I'm gonna say it. it's harder to be a freelance writer than it is to be a freelance artist. I feel every freelance artist. I do. I, I promise you, you guys get paid more per hour than the freelance writers, just because like. There are so many more. That and and I, th- I think you can get a, a better idea for yeah. someone's yeah. Uh, ability as an artist in two seconds than you can from two seconds of checking out someone's writing. You need a you need to put a, a bit more time to figure out if someone's actually a good writer. Also very good. Than to say, oh, you can just go. That's a really pretty picture. And yeah. Yep. Our work is transitory too, right? Like uh, the the copy that I write for Mr. Vakuma isn't something I'm going to be able to pick up and sell like as the exact same words to somebody else down the line. Sure. Uh, but artwork that is, appears in Mississippi film could probably appear in other books too, you know? So like the individual work of a writer is uh, like, has less resale value than the individual work of an artist. Sure. Especially if you're a smart artist and you retain rights to your artwork. Yeah. Yep. And, and the writing is specifically for a thing. And, you know, the probability of recycling 
that material into into something else is, is pretty low. So, yeah, for doing any kind of specialized work, I, I, I don't care what it is, that's usually that, that you get a little bit more for something like that. And as well, you should. You know, uh, I think uh, one of the last questions I wanted to ask you is what I mean, you, you work a lot with. Well, Mrs. Akuma especially is for fifth edition D and D. What are some of the things that are really great about fifth edition that that really kind of put you in that direction for Mrs. Akuma? That was one of the things that drove me nuts about Hyperport. There's this um, I write about the standard for uh, the EA Fighter Patreon. So, like D and D fifth is uh, I mentioned is a more of a narrative game than uh, the simulation Finder, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of GM ruling implicit mechanics. Like they specifically leave out elements of the rules with the expectation that the GM will say, this is what the ruling event is. And then, you know, that gives legitimacy to the GM. It actually does great stuff for hunger games. It is a huge pain in the ass if you're a designer. <laughs> and it can be a trouble to, you know, your GM and like you decide to change the ruling that is going to upset the table, but like, you know, so, so good, right? sure. So, um, like with Hypercore, we went through that and I kept like slamming my head against the wall, being like, God, where's the rule for this? Oh, there is no rule for that. I have to make, do I have to make a rule for that? Oh, I don't know. So, um, that was actually one of the things that I wanted, like, did this rule because, like, I wanted, I wanted to design something for this from the start. Because like there are all these nooks and crannies I'm finding in it, and I want to I want to find those nooks and crannies. So like there's a there's there's some more vagaries in the rules of Mr. Kuma than you'll find in Hypercore Pathfinder or Rancid Pathfinder. And uh, yeah, the fact that it's a more narrative game can be used to design a stronger product and tell a better story than necessarily. Otherwise, I do feel bad though for uh, the Adventurers League people, because that has to be insanity. Constantly running, they're like, oh, my GM from this other table in whatever city said that this works this way. I don't think that happens as much. Like, I'm sure that happens in Pathfinder Society, but I, I, I promise it's five times it's more common in Adventurers League. And there's no, like, solid, like, very well-tended message board forum system for Watsi, because they just threw their forums out the window. So, like, mm. you know, Good on you if you're a 5e eventually GM. You know, fight the good fight, man. <laughs> All right. What we're going to do here is, uh, well, first off, uh, thank you very much uh, for taking the time. And we're going to, before we wrap things up, we're going to give uh, give you an opportunity to uh, give uh, your message for you know where people can find you and, and find out more about, about your work here. So uh, hang on for that. Uh, wanted to talk a little bit about feedback, though. Uh, uh, Meho Shika, uh, who watches us on YouTube, uh, gave us a little bit of feedback. We've switched to blab.im to do our initial our video recording. And from that, we uh, pull extract the audio from that. So it's been kind of an interesting uh, transition. Uh, we used to use Google Hangouts, which... You know, has there's some good things about it. There's some things about it that we didn't necessarily like, so we thought we'd give Blab a try. And one of the things that they've changed is they, uh, with Google Hangouts, 
there is one screen for you to look at. And when somebody talks, uh, that screen pops over to focus on that person, which is kind of nice in a way. But uh, uh, Mihoshika brings up a good point. Uh, I think I prefer the split screen over switching to who is talking. So like in blab.im, uh, and uh, we do ship this over and upload it to YouTube, you'll notice that each person has their own set static view. And uh, so you can kind of see reactions <clears throat> and interactions between people as opposed to just seeing uh, one individual. And now that I've got uh, things kind of figured out using many cams so we can get, uh, you know, like we can bring up the game that uh, Glenn is reviewing at the time, uh, things are working out a little bit better for that. So uh, thanks for taking the time to uh, give us some feedback on that. Appreciate that. Uh, speaking of YouTube, uh, you can find out more about our meetings, uh, show notes for each meeting and contact information and subscription links uh, by going to Galactic Net, or I'm sorry, GNCasts.com slash adventure. And you can also find us on the YouTube channel, uh, YouTube.com slash Galactic Netcasts. And uh, like I mentioned earlier, we've got more shows than just the Adventure Party. The Galactic Netcast Network has a variety of shows, and each show has its own playlist. So if you check us out on YouTube, you can just take a look at all the individual playlists. And uh, we've got shows that cover a lot of different, a lot of different subjects. Most of them are geeky. Uh, so if you're into into stuff like, uh, boy, uh, shirt. Now my brain is completely turned off. Some of our other shows, uh, a podcast of terror. So if you're into uh, horror movies, uh, Corey and Matt uh, have a guest typically every week, and they talk about uh, the horror movie genre and. Uh, they talk about movies that they've seen, news, and other things. Um, they're getting guests in the in the horror industry too. So uh, that's been a really fun and, and interesting show. We have a monthly show called the Sci-Fi Survival Guide, done by Daryl Johnston, which is one part boy, one part how to survive in a particular apocalyptic situation, whether that's an alien invasion, whether that's uh, a Terminator situation, whether that's, uh, you know, uh, trying to think of a good, uh, what is it? A, uh, a boy and his dog, like post-apocalyptic, you know, <laughs> the bomb has dropped and humanity needs to move on. It's one part that, and the other part is uh, a bit of uh, theater of the mind. So, uh, Daryl will spend half of the show talking about some of the you know more realistic aspects of what could happen in a particular circumstance for the end of the world, uh, and he extrapolates that and turns it into a a bit of uh, theater and gives like a one person perspective of somebody going through that particular uh, scenario and and what could happen. So. It's a very fascinating show and uh, one that you should really check out. And you can find all that at GNCasts.com. Uh, if you're using iTunes or Stitcher, please take a moment to give us a review and let us know what you think. Uh, your reviews, positive or negative, can help shape the adventure party and help make it into a better show. You can also leave us feedback by emailing adventure at GNCasts.com or you can call or text us at the number 805-328-3966. Again, 
323-328-3966. And uh, if you do text to set that number, you know, depending on your particular uh, cellular plan, there might be a charge for that, just to give you a fair warning. Uh, like I mentioned, we have a number of different shows. Oh, here's the list. Boy, if I would have just looked a little further down the page, Weird, Weird World Weekly uh, is a great, uh, great show. Uh, it's about a half an hour long, usually a little bit shorter than that. Uh, but they talk about urban legends or uh, the Dyatlov Pass incident, or um, I'm trying to think about one of the recent ones. It was a ghost ship that was uh, discovered. And uh, a lot of rumors about what was actually true, what actually happened, what was what was not the deal. But they kind of go through uh, all the bits of that uh, through the... Uh, the Nazi sub in, in the Great Lakes? No, uh, I'm trying to think. It was off the... Oh, shoot. Now I can't remember. It was from a few months ago. And uh, it was a... It was a cruise. Europe? It was a like a cruise ship. Was it a cruise ship? It was a smaller ship, and uh, it, it kind of like a Mary Celeste situation. It was like everybody was gone, <laughs> but huh. uh, you know nobody really. Yeah, and, but there were some bodies there, and you know we should tune into the podcast to find out about. Yes, it. absolutely. <laughs> Thank you for that, Mike. You saved me. I kind of talked myself into a corner. I appreciate <laughs> the assist. Uh, Sci-Fi Geeks Club, uh, which is another show where we talk about uh, stuff in sci-fi. We have a guest. We've had Andy Weir, the writer of The Martian, on. We've had Hugh Howie on, the writer of Wool and a number of uh, other uh, amazing sci-fi things. We've had Tom Merritt on, who's written a number of books and does a number of podcasts. We've had a lot of really awesome people on that show, and we uh, spend an hour, hour and a half just uh, talking about sci-fi and uh, including the guests in on that and uh, getting their perspective from what particular type of sci-fi they've been interested in and what they've uh, managed to produce uh, in that particular genre. So a lot of different shows that you can check out at gncasts.com. So uh, I want to thank you, Mike, uh, for joining us. And where can people find out more about you, more about Miss Akuma, and more about some of the other projects that you've worked on? I want to start off. Please check out Miss of Akuma. It's really easy. www.missofakuma.com. Uh, A K U M A. Uh, you can find out more about me at uh, on my Facebook page. Find me on Facebook. Uh, my name is Mike Myler, M Y L E R. And uh, my website has information on me. I update it at least twice a month. Um, MikeMyler.com. If you want to see my two earlier intellectual properties, uh, my original home campaign setting is called Rancid Codex. If you go to www.varantiacodex.com, there is free stuff. And then um, the last project I did was uh, Hypercore. Uh, definitely go to the Hypercore2099.com because uh, not only are there free stuff, but like it's, it's this whole meta thing where I play a character that is in the book. Uh, yeah, just go check it out. There's like a two-minute video. It'll blow your mind away. Yeah, I've actually uh, pulled this up. Uh, if uh, Folks are checking us out on video. Yeah, it's... Uh... The you go to this uh, you go to hypercore2099.com and you're immediately kind of in the setting, um, in yep. kind of immersed in that world. And yeah, here's the the video from right off the bat. And uh, uh, and uh, 
if you're going to be at PaizoCon, you can't miss us because me and the design team are coming dressed as our characters from the book for our seminars and stuff. I'm, uh, I'm really stoked about it. Nice. Yeah. Uh, watch free stuff. Uh, check out MrBakuma.com. Uh, by the time this goes up, we'll still have at least two weeks to go for the Kickstarter and uh, help us unlock more awesome stuff, please. And uh, yeah, thanks for tuning to the podcast. And Brad and Glenn, thanks for having me on. This is very fun. No, absolutely. You, We're man. glad that we can have you on and, uh, you know, the next project you work on uh, or uh, even a follow-up to how things went with Mr. Vakuma. We would love to have you back, Mike. I'm actually emailing you guys something right now. Oh, excellent. <laughs> cool. Uh, I want to, uh, of course, thank Glenn for uh, joining us once again for yet another meeting of the Adventure Party. Uh, where can people find out more about you, more about the B-Movie Bunker, which is a YouTube show uh, that you do where you uh, review usually B-Movies and uh, more about your RPG that you created called Mist Runner? Uh, you can find out a lot about me. Just follow me on Facebook. Um, you can also have Misturners on Facebook, as is the B-Movie Bunker. Uh, you can check out uh, me on Twitter, at uh, Guy in a Bunker, or on YouTube, Guy in a Bunker Productions, or also follow some of my other podcasts. I'm on Spoiler Room, uh, Astro Radio Z, and The Film Jerks. Yes, you are. I stay busy. <laughs> you are a very busy man. And you also manage a gaming store in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I don't know how you do it all. You are the BFD, as always. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, if you get a chance, uh, check out the Guy in the Bunker stuff because uh, your short films, your horror short films are also there to be viewed. Yes, uh, they We are. have Hell, Handy, and? Oh, uh, Hell, Handy, and Prey. There we go, Prey. Yep. Uh, I love. I think Prey was my my favorite of of the three. I think. Oh, I thought that was a. a here I am thinking that was a play on E Prey and Love. <laughs> no, no, they're actually the the one word titles for three different uh, horror shorts yeah, that he created. Which uh, yeah, check them out on YouTube. They're they're really good. Uh, so I want to thank everybody for joining us again at the Adventure Party. May our characters never die and your adventures always be epic. Thank you and good night. This has been a Galactic Network podcast. For more, go to GNCast.com. That's G-N-C-A-S-T-S dot com.